0: Our scripture reading today is Genesis 3, verses 1 through 15. In honor of God's word, please stand. Our scripture reader is Elliot Ackerman.
1: Listen as I read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate." I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, okay, so we're in this series called
0: The Story of Stories. And uh, we're calling it this because over the course of this series, we are going to walk through the story. Capital T, capital S. The, the big story. The story of the world that we are all living in. And we're going to do that by considering all the many stories uh, that make up that big story. So the the, the Bible is one story, one grand story of God's work in the world. Uh, But if you've read the Bible or if you chose to read the Bible, you would find out quickly that there's a whole bunch of little stories And one of the goals of this series is to we can't get to all the stories, obviously, but to take a handful of them and to show how they're all working together to reveal to us what's actually going on in the world, what God is what God is doing. And the other component of this series is that we recognize that all these collected stories on the pages of the Bible are gifts that God wanted his people to have over the long haul. But there's also some contemporary stories, some some real-time stories that are happening right here uh, in our church family. And so every Sunday, uh, as you just saw from from C.O. Gerlach, every Sunday you're going to get to hear a little snapshot from a fellow sojourner. And sometimes it's going to be more of a personal story. Sometimes it's going to be more of a faith story. Sometimes it's going to be more of their their work in the world. Uh, But our invitation is to get to know each other a little bit more. And see how God is at work uh, through, through us uh, in his purposes on this earth. And so today, uh, we uh, continue to move forward. And uh, we are in Genesis chapter 3. So if you were here last week, you know, I, uh, uh, I, I, my invitation at the end of the service was to just, it was, you know, kind of ch- Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And to just be like, can we just pause right here? Like, let's not, let's not read any more verses, let, let's, let's just let Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 just soak into our bones for a minute. Because if you read the first two chapters of Genesis, you find out that there's this generous God, this triune God who is full of love and full of creativity. And he chooses to, to, to let that overflow into this, this thing of creation, into creating a world and filling that world. And then the crown of all that creation was human beings who were actually made in his image. And God looks at it all and he says, it's just it's just all so good. And he says, I'm done. I'm resting. Um, But creation now, like I want the fish to team. I want I want the oceans to be full of the fish. I want the fruit trees to be full of fruit. I want people to be fruitful and multiply. God says, I'm done the creative work. But now creation itself is going to be doing creative work. Creation itself is going to expand and grow. And he looks at humanity and he says, I'm, I'm giving you authority here. Now, you're under my authority, but we're co-reigning. And I want you to take this place and do something with it. God actually says to humans, go make a culture. Go, go develop it. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And then, and then you've got dominion over everything. T- take the garden and, and be creative with it. I you know, actually said, like you know you, you, you know you just wonder, like, was God like, how long will it take them to, to, make, a, to make a roller coaster? You know How long will it take them to to create a a, a cappuccino? Like how long is it going to take them to come up with these incredibly creative ways of taking those original resources that God gave them in creation and, and molding them into something, building something, building a culture, building a society? And boy, it was such a beautiful thing from my own heart to just be like. Let's just stop right here. <laughs> let's just stop right here and let, let's drink that in. Well, we can't do that anymore. We are moving on and we are reading the next chapter because uh, knowing what actually is going on in the world is important. Uh, maybe, maybe you're tempted like I am uh, to stick your head in the sand, uh, you know, stick your fingers in your ear and la, 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 la. Like, I, I don't want to know. Uh, but the Bible graciously uh, actually does tell us what's going on uh, in the world around us. And so we're going to start off by looking at the father of lies. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So they they got this serpent, and uh, it says that he's more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he says to the woman, to Eve, Did God actually say, "You shall not eat of any tree in the garden"? Now, who who is this? Who is the snake? Who who is the serpent? Well, the Bible tells us later on that this snake is Satan. We find that in a few different passages that this snake in the garden is is uh, is uh, an embodiment of of Satan. But where did he come from? Well, he's not eternal. The Bible was crystal clear about who is eternal, and only, only God is eternal. So, so he's not eternal, which means that he then must have been created. But God looked at all that he created and said it was good. So we're left with this, this, this problem of like, where did this snake that is Satan, where, where, did, he, where did he come from? The, the only conclusion is that Satan must have rebelled against God at some point in time. That that's, all, that that's the only conclusion that we can have is that Satan must have rebelled against God sometime. Uh, there's a couple times in the Bible where there is a mention of an angelic rebellion uh, that happened. You see it in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. The New Testament references it a couple times, where there's this angelic rebellion where maybe a third of the angels turn and rebel against the God of Heaven, and that might be a really fun subject matter that you would like to explore. But here's what I want you to realize. There's no mention of it here. When we get to Genesis 3, the writer concludes that we don't need that that question answered. And this is a reminder that when we come to the Bible, the Bible is not, the goal of the Bible is not to answer all of my questions. The goal of the Bible is to answer all of God's questions. It's all the questions that God looks at and says, here's the questions that you really need. And as we come, and this story is just beginning, the writer of Genesis does not address that question. Later on, we find out who he is. Later on, we find out some ideas of maybe where he came from. But here, it's the, the goal is not to tell us where evil came from. The goal is to tell us, be aware that evil exists. The, the goal here seems to be, like, open your eyes. Wake up to the reality you're not alone in the world. Evil is part of the story. Is evil eternal? No. Is Satan eternal? No. Where did it come from? That's not the question of Genesis 3. The question in Genesis 3 is uh, answering the fact that like, evil is here. Did, did you know that? And boy, is it here. And boy, it's important to see how Satan attacks. The place where Satan attacks is the very place of God's authority. His Word. You know, over the first couple weeks of this series, I've emphasized the reality and the significance of God's Word. If you were here for the first week of this series, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we spent the entire service talking about what is this book? What is this book that reveals to us the story? What is this book that contains all of these little stories? What, What is this thing? What is this? And we said, well, we call it the Bible, but it would also be appropriate to refer to it as the Word of God. The written word of God that has been retained, it's been preserved so that you and I could have it. And here we are in the year 2022 and we have more access to it than, is ever, than anyone's ever had access. I mean, we, we, you know your phone, you, you can not only have the Bible anywhere you want, but you can have all the versions of the Bible, all the translations. It's incredible the access that we have to the Bible. And God says, I've preserved it for you. I want you to have this written word. Well, then last week, we looked at creation. And what does creation point us to? God's spoken word. That that creation comes by God speaking. And so it's not that surprising that Christians have looked at the reality of God's word and had just a super high value to it. Because right off the bat, in the first chapter of the Bible, we find out that the God of heaven, when he talks, crazy stuff happens. Incredible things happen. He, he he creates stuff out of nothing by just his word, by just his word. We also see him declare things good. By his word, he reveals that he has an opinion about stuff. He actually he has an opinion about what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. So in these first two weeks, there, there's been an invitation to recognize the significance of the fact that the God of Heaven speaks. He has spoken his word, his written word, and then he spoke creation into existence. Look at where Satan attacks. Look at where the serpent goes. It goes right at the authority of God's word. And this is the first time that we see the distortion of God's word. It's the first time where we see that God has spoken, but now somebody's going to do something with what God has said. And Satan goes right at it. Did God really say, you notice that that's, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now there's been, as you would guess, just an incredible amount of work that's been done on this passage. And so there's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons that have taken all kinds of different perspectives and different angles. And there are a lot of beautiful ideas uh, that you can pull from this text But our goal here is to actually recognize this as the unfolding of the story. And what I want to invite you to see is that Satan goes right at the authority of God's word and he undermines it. He twists it. What he says to Eve is not what God said. Did God actually say you shall never eat of any tree in the garden? God didn't tell them that. But Satan's taking it and twisting it. He's undermining it. Did God really say? And then he quotes God, but it's a wrong quote. It's just this manipulative effort to undermine God's word. And, you know, thumbs up to Eve. In verse 3, Eve actually corrects Satan. She she says, no, 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 no." here's what he said. But this is a good thing to realize. Satan doesn't quit. Satan's uh, distorting God's word. He's twisting God's word. Eve says, no, no, this is is actually what he said. Satan doesn't just be like, oh, okay, I'll go get somebody else. No, he comes back again. He comes back with more. He comes back and pokes and tempts and twists and lies. In verse 5, he questions God's intentions. Why do you think God won't let you have that? You know what it is. He's keeping the good stuff from you. The best stuff he wants for himself. He doesn't want to let you in on that. That's why he's preventing you from that tree. That's why he told you not to eat that tree. Satan is fully committed to undermining God's work in the world. He's fully committed to undermining God's word in the world. And he is a liar. Jesus, in John chapter 8, directly says that he is the father of God of lies. He's the origin of lies. That all the lies, all the distortions, he's the origin. He's the he's the he's the fountainhead. It all started right from him, right right here. The first time that we see God's word distorted and it's Satan. It is this it's this 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 uh, this act of, of evil deceit that is meant to undermine God's good work of creation. God's good design for creation. God's word to His creation. Satan's a liar, and he has never stopped. Never stopped. Verse two, yeah. Verse two. He, he, uh, verse one. He's he's after Eve, and if you keep reading through the Bible, you're going to see him after a whole bunch of other people. He is the father of lies, and he has never stopped. But. Regardless of all the lies, regardless of all the distortions, Eve didn't have to believe them. Regardless of all the lies and all the distortions and all the twists, Adam didn't have to believe them. But they did. They both did. And what you find happening in those next verses is that God's creatures believed the distortion They believe the lie instead of believing God. Now, you might say, what what is so wrong with eating a little fruit? Man, I I have heard that said so many times. And guess what? I have thought that so many times. What is wrong with eating a little fruit? Well, let me offer two reasons why it's wrong. Kind of what's wrong with it. First, it's wrong because God told them not to do it. If you went back to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God point blank says, all this is yours. Don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of it. So this is blatant disobedience. Right off the bat, God is setting this tone that his word is good, that he has an opinion about what is good and bad. He has an opinion about what is right and what is wrong. Right off the bat, and he tells them, don't do this. And then in the next chapter, they do that. It is blatant disobedience. But you could legitimately ask, why did God not want them to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? That's what this tree is called, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because if you and I look at the world, it's like, man, knowing good and evil seems pretty important. That seems like a pretty good skill set to have. Maybe I should eat quite a bit of that fruit. I need help figuring out what is good and what is bad, what is good and what is evil. Well, that, that leads to the second reason that this is a problem. There's an author named Vaughn Roberts who has been super helpful for me in just thinking about the story of the Bible over the last, uh, last decade or so. And this is what he says. He says that knowledge of good and evil refers not simply to knowing what is right and wrong, but also to deciding what is right and wrong. See, see what's happening here is that their sin is that of lawmaking, not just law breaking. So, yes, they are doing blatant disobedience. Yes, they are breaking the law, but they are also writing the law. They are also declaring something good. And this is getting down more to the heart level. The fact that they believed the lie instead of believing God, that they decided, in a sense, envision a fork in the road. And at the fork in the road, there is, is eating from this tree good? And the other side, is, eating from this tree is bad. God says it's bad. They decide it's good. They take that fork, that, 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 that street, that road, and they ignore God's road. They, are, they broke the law for sure, but they also are declaring law. They're making their own law. See, Adam and Eve's actions are basically saying, we want to make the rules. We don't need to listen to your word. We want to be in charge. Von Roberts goes on to say that this is a bid for them to be like God, but not in a nobler way. You know, when, when, when a person comes to, to faith and they, 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 they want to, to give their lives to following Jesus and, and to following, you know, the, what does what the God of heaven have to say? You, you, you do want to become more godly. Godliness is something that the Bible speaks very highly of. We want to become, in that sense, more like God. But von Roberts says, here it's them wanting to become more like God, but not in a more noble way. It's in, a, and it's in a dethroning way. It's in a way where they say, God has his opinion, but we have our opinion. God says this, but we think this. And that has been the human situation ever since. Remember the power of his word that we looked at just last week in creating the universe His word is good and powerful. And we have every reason to believe it and trust it. And we still face that crossroad every single day. Every single day of my life. Every single day of my life, I see this. I'm experiencing this crossroad. Am I going to to trust God? Or am I going to do my own thing? You know, I used to think... Uh, many of you know my dad was a pastor and my grandfather's a pastor, and I spent a lot of time uh, around the church and around, around you know, Sunday school classes and learned a lot about the Bible. And for a long time, for the majority of my life, I believed that the biggest battle was to obey. But over the last decade of my life, I have come clearly to realize that the biggest battle is to actually believe. Do I believe His way is good? Do I believe that what he wants for me is good? Do I believe that God's intentions for me are good? I'm at this crossroads. I've got an opinion and God's got an opinion. Whose opinion wins the day? Well, you could you could make the battle for obeying and that's not a bad battle to wage. But if you want to get underneath the battle to obey, it's the battle to to believe. What what do you believe about God? What do you believe about his word? What do you believe about his intentions? Satan wants to undermine all of that. And he's still doing it today. Well, what happens? They ate the fruit. They ate from the tree that God said don't eat from. What happens? Oh, man, it's, it's almost unspeakable. It's, it's so bad. Verses 14 through 19 expand, you know, kind of give you the, the, the play-by-play. But God looks at them and he says, you know, basically, whether, whether you think so or not, what, what you have just done has, has ruined the world. It's, it's worse than you can imagine. He says, I'm going to give you a snapshot of what's going to happen now. Of what the, what the domino effect of you rejecting my good way. I'm going to show you what the effect is. And it's heavy. Man, we're not going to read verses 14 through 19. Uh, but you can see he starts off by saying, serpent, because of your role... Here's what's gonna happen. And then he looks at Adam and Eve each, and at different times he says, You know, Eve, here's what's gonna happen with you. Adam, here's what's gonna happen with you. It's gonna be really tragic. Really, really tragic. We'll talk about that more in a second. But one of the realities that I have to remind myself of often is that there are a lot of things in life that I don't get to set the price tag for. You know, because you still might be saying, Man, it was a piece of fruit. Or you might be saying it was just one decision. Why all of this off of just one decision? Why why that high of a price for just one decision? Look, think about all the things in your life that you don't get to set the price tag for. If after church, if I drove down to the Mercedes dealer and I went up to the salesman there and I said, you know, I just don't like the price point of your cars. I don't I don't think that I don't think that that's right. I think that they're overpriced. I see all kinds of cars. They got four wheels, doors, you turn the key and they go on, you drive down, like, you're overpriced, I, I'm, I'm not going to pay that. How's that going to go? How, it, you're not going to end up with a Mercedes, I, I, can, I can let you in on that part. Um, or, you know, there was a, a painting, Salvatore Mundi, Is this painting by Leonardo da Vinci, and maybe you heard the story of it, not that long ago, um, you know, it was kind of a, a discovered one. It was almost like a lost painting of Leonardo's. And um, you, you could look at that painting and be like, that's like a $20 canvas. That's like maybe $20 worth of paint. And then, yes, your labor, okay. Like, I, I'll give you a $1,000. I'll give you a $1,000 for that. Like, you, you could say it's overpriced. Do You, you want to know how much that sold for? million, that painting. You disagree with that price tag? Like, I kind of disagree with that price tag. I think that's a little overpriced. Um, There's all kinds of things in that category that you look at it and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect it to be that much. God in his grace is revealing the severity of the situation. The all-knowing God of heaven is in his grace, pulling the veil off and saying, it's this bad. You might not understand why. Even in the year 2022, with all of the scholarship that's happened with a completed Bible, we still might not know exactly why. But the God of heaven in his grace is telling us, this is the deal. It's that bad. It's really, really bad. The result, the result of Adam and Eve's, Adam and Eve's sin, man, it's, it's separation. It's it, this word death. That's what, we're, that's what the word death means. It means separation. And as God talks about the effects of this, he basically says everything's going to be, it's, it's going to be separated now. Everything's going to be torn apart. Human's relationship with God, torn apart. Human's relationship with each other, torn apart. Husbands' relationships with wives, wives' relationships with husbands, torn apart. Our relationship with ourselves, torn apart. So spiritual, social, relational, psychological. All of this separation, all of this tearing, comes from sin flooding into the world. God's good creation is vandalized. It's infected with sin. You know, my, when I was in college, I had a friend who was at a, uh, worked at a his family, owned a, a pretty big dairy farm, and they would milk their cows and they would store their cows in, in tanks. And then uh, throughout the week, these milk trucks would come and they would fill the back of these milk trucks up with their milk. The milk truck would take the milk away. It would get processed and, and, you know, get, and get sold. Well, one time my friend, they were, they were loading up the, the milk truck and I think the milk truck, if I remember right, I think it held like 5,000 gallons of milk. And they had filled it almost to the top, and they needed to, they needed to top it off. They needed to finish it off. So they go to another tank in, in their, at their facility to top off the milk truck. And my friend hooks up the hose, takes it up to the tanker, and starts to fill it, and almost immediately realizes that he hooked it up to the wrong tank. And it was contaminated milk. And he shuts it off immediately, and only like a few gallons had gone into the tanker. But they sit there and they, be, they begin to realize the whole, the whole load is shot. And they end up dumping like 5,000 gallons of milk because of just a few gallons of contaminated milk. Aren't you glad? I, I'm glad. I'm glad that that's their standards. You've got a God, the God of heaven looking at this earth and saying it's been contaminated. There's an infection that's gotten into the system And he tells us it's way worse than the milk truck. It's going to grow. It's going to metastasize. It's going to get worse. It's going to spread. And it's going to spread into every single thing, into every single uh, human. One of my favorite authors uh, on this subject calls it the vandalism of shalom. Because this vandalism is so much worse if you've read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The second you've seen how good it was, this, this distortion, this vandalism, this infection is in, it just infinitely worse. It was my wife's birthday this weekend. And on Friday, we went out to um, Empire Bre- Beach and we got, uh, got there early enough to commandeer one of the fire pits. And uh, it was a perfect day. And as the sun started to set, you know, we started the fire and like the wind died right down just enough to kind of keep any bugs away. But like calm wind and the firewood was like perfect and the the waves were like lapping up gently onto the shore. There weren't a ton of people around and, you know, the sun is just starting to make its way to the horizon and it's gleaming off of the off of Lake Michigan. Uh, and it's just, if you haven't watched the sunset at Empire Beach, that's a, good, that's a good thing to put on your list for this summer. It's incredible, incredible. So, so good. And it's like my wife and I started talking about it. And we were just like, man, if it's this good here in a broken world, what, what must the kingdom be like? It almost, it almost feels like it's perfect right now. And just as we're saying that, <laughs> an older lady comes slowly walking by, I think, looking for Petoskey stones, I think. And she stopped right in front of us. (laughs) And if you've seen people looking for Petoskey stones, it is not an enjoyable silhouette. (laughs) And she's there for minutes. Now, she did move before the sun actually went all the way down. But we had an immediate example of the fact that it's like, yeah, the world is not right. Like in this most beautiful setting, in this most beautiful moment, everything else seems like it went right. And then, look, it, did, it didn't go right. It went wrong. And that's a fun example of the world being mangled up. But you and I know the, 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 the real stories, the tragic stories, the relational strains, the physical illness, the loss of loved ones, the, 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 the strain of communities the inability of our political system to function with kindness and honesty. We see it every day. We see the effects of this vandalism every day. And this, this, this action by, by, by Adam and Eve to, to, to respond with disbelief of God's good word invited into the world this distortion. And it's worse than we can even put into words. There's so many things about Theo's story today that I love. But you know, she's meeting with people who are going through like, tragedies, through, through really hard situations. And do you ever wonder, like, why do we need that? Why do we need that kind of counseling? Why are people going through such hard times? Why are we in such need of that kind of help? Well, the most fundamental answer is that sin has broken into the world and it's infected everything. Every single thing. Every single thing is impacted by it. It's a rebellion that ruined the world. But wait. As bad as this is, right here in this passage, we get a glimpse into the character of God. This is terrible circumstances, and maybe you've seen this in other people, how terrible circumstances reveal true character. This is pretty tragic. And God shows up. God shows up to see what's going on. And what does God do? Check out the God of heaven's response. Even as his creation has been vandalized, he seeks them out. God comes and says, where are you? Like he didn't know. No, it's, it's a question of invitation. Where, where are you? He asked them questions. Who, who, who told you you were naked? One of these aspects of distortion, of separation, of of the the, the tragedy of sin is the the reality of of shame. And Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 are walking around naked and they are unashamed. As soon as sin shows up in their stories, they are are, uh, frozen by shame. They are hiding from their creator God, the God that they used to walk in the garden with. Now they're hiding from him. And yet God pursues them. Where are you? Who told you that? He's inviting them. Adam and Eve are gripped with shame. They're gripped with fear. They're running from God. They're hiding from God. But God is pursuing them. And it doesn't just stop with kind words. Adam and Eve, and, and you know, by all of us by extension, are, are in a heap of trouble unless something can repair this damage. Unless the whisper. That is in Genesis chapter three, verse 15 is true. Take a look at Genesis 3:15. It may seem small, but it is not. Genesis 3:15 says this, "I will put enmity between you." He's talking to the snake here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." You might say, "What? What is that about? Well listen, unless that's true, We'll tell you what it is here in a second. Unless that's true, we are in a heap of trouble. Genesis 3.15 is revealing that God is going to come fix this. He has a a plan to fix this. We, We need God to come and solve this problem. If you read what he has to say to Adam and Eve and to the serpent, the impact of sin is so much bigger than any of us could ever handle, ever resolve. We need God to come fix it. And Genesis 3.15 tells us he's got a plan to fix it. The technical term is proto-evangelium. It's two, two Greek words put together. And it means, you know what it means? The first gospel. The first good news. That's the tagline that's been used by, for this verse over the course of church history. When, when, when Bible scholars look at Genesis 3.15, they look and they say, oh. The first gospel, the first whisper of good news, the first evidence that God's going to fix things. You know, there's evidence that Jewish scholars were associating Genesis three fifteen as the first promise of a coming Messiah, of a coming Savior, as early as three hundred years before Jesus was born. So Bible scholars, even just Hebrew Bible scholars, looked at Genesis 3.15 and saw it as the whisper, as the promise. See, God is revealing to Adam and Eve that the problem is so much worse than they think. And he slips a subtle but earth-altering promise right in there. It's the ultimate promise. Now, if you're still wondering if this story should be considered as literal, I I want you to see that the rest of the Bible treats it as literal the rest of the bible comes to this passage and it looks at these texts and it says that this is this is something that happened but a better question is this can god actually keep the promise now you might be saying what is the promise what's the whisper what i don't see anything in genesis 315 here's here's what's happening god says there's going to be enmity there's going to be a war that's going to go on and you know where it's going to be seen it's going to be seen in satan's offspring and in Eve's offspring. Later we find out that her name is Eve because she's the mother of all living things. So it's, in other words, it's, it's all of the human race. There's going to be a war going on. It's going to be tragic. It's going to be terrible. And God says this, that, that, that Eve's offspring, he's going to bruise your head. That means he's going to crush your head. You're, you're going to get his heel. He's going he's gonna to feel some pain, but it's not a competition. He's going to crush your head. That's what's going to happen. And God makes this promise in Genesis 3, verse 15, just a few verses after sin infects the world. And the question for the rest of the Bible is, can God keep it? Can God keep the promise? Can God keep the promise that the seed of Eve, that the offspring of Eve will actually crush Satan and fix this problem? You know, the Bible in Romans chapter 5 shows that the first man, this is how Romans 5 talks about it. That the first man, Adam, his failure, his sin is addressed by the second Adam, the God man's obedience and victory over sin. So Adam brought sin into the world. And in the New Testament, we find out that Jesus has something to say about that sin. That one man's act of rebellion brought sin into the world. One man's act of righteousness, the God man, Jesus Christ, actually brings redemption to the world. And so, can God keep the promise? Well, spoiler alert, yes, he does. But as we walk through this Bible and we see all of these stories, we are going to constantly be invited into this question of, can God keep the promise? Will God keep the promise? Should God keep the promise? Look at these people. Look at us. Will he keep that promise? Will the seed of Eve, will the offspring of Eve actually crush Satan? This is a promise that he's going to do something scandalous and amazing in response to Adam's failure. He's going to send a rescuer, a savior, and we eventually find out that the real thing is as good as the promise. Can he do it? Yeah, spoiler alert, yes he can. It might take a little bit longer uh, than most of us would like, and it absolutely will require a willingness to give up our own agendas, for us to give up our role as lawmakers and turn back in faith to the God who created us. But God's plan to rescue us through the one who will crush Satan's head, it's the, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life, and it is true. And this is, the, this is the, the, the first pivot, the first big pivot in the story of the stories, the ultimate story of the world. And this is what we celebrate as we break the bread, that in the face of the first tragic, the tragic turn, God whispers a promise. God says, I've got a plan. I'm going to fix it it's coming. Just wait. So as we come to the table, I want to invite you to remember the devastation of sin. I want to invite you to repent. To repent of your desire to be in charge. To to repent of your desire to be a lawmaker. To be the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. Man, that resides in every human heart. And I want you to celebrate the free gift of grace that Christ offers our service will please come, let's pray. God, as we consider the severity of Genesis 3, um, I, I think I can speak for most of us. God, we, we feel it in our bones. We see it in our friendships, in our families, in our work life, in our checkbooks, in our country, in our world, in disease. God, we, we see... How this, this, uh, this sin that infected the world, that created so much separation, so much damage, so much vandalism. God, we see how it's still wreaking havoc today. But we thank you so much for your promise of a solution. We thank you so much for your promise of a rescuer who would come and make it right, who would crush Satan's head. And God, Genesis just whispers it, just hints at it. God, we thank you that as this story unfolds, we find out more details and more incredible realities of just how far you're going to go to make it all right. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.